right, putting a bit of a timestamp on this one, I'm going to be AFK from my entire setup for the most of the weekend, so I decided to pre-record this a couple of days in advance. So at this point in time, we're only going to be covering the first 12 days of February 2021. We're going to be able to work that out and see how it goes. Regardless, though, welcome back to Anime on the Sea to Sky. Uh, it hasn't been too bad leading into the first couple of weeks of February, even though January moved way too quickly for my for my pacing like it was just over in and out just staying isolated inside the majority of my time and just trying to go wherever i can to keep myself sane considering that the majority of the only three places i've been to over the past like three to four weeks have been home work and grocery stores and i would imagine everybody else is trying to find a little bit of an outlet to keep themselves sane in the majority of these days as time is feeling like it's slowly rolling by but it's just passing the blink of an eye at least considering in a mountain there's a lot of good uh, mountain paths to track and at least keep myself occupied but besides that i guess we're just gonna have to wait and see what happens and just make sure that everybody can still you know get themselves back into play sooner rather than later for the help of all of us but to be fair in terms of the news that's been coming in, there hasn't really been a lot since we were already nearly halfway through the winter 2021 anime season, and things have just been moving in stride, but besides that, there hasn't been any rumblings inside the industry as of late. Although in terms of the anime industry, it's been a little bit more grounded, everything else revolving around anime cons, who legitimately thought that, considering that we, it started early enough last year for quarantine and the lockdowns and shutdowns for everything to go through, we were kind of hoping okay well anime conventions for 2020 have been completely cancelled as long as we just continuously move forward and try and get through the majority of this and do our due diligence we might actually be able to go back to anime cons in 2021 and to the surprise of no one since uh, nothing has been calming down to the degree that everybody's hoping for at least the vaccines have been rolling out relatively well but even then, the majority of uh, large anime conventions, and in this case, video game conventions like E3, were already just assuming the worst and were not necessarily going to be able to be healthy enough at the time to get those things open to full capacity. So at this point in time, the ESA has proposed a plan for a digital version of this year's E3 show for a three-day livestream coverage between June 15th and 17th. So at this point in time... To be fair, I'm not really much of a E3 watcher, considering that the only ones I've been going through is a lot of Nintendo, and you're going to be hearing a lot of video game talk over the course of this episode, but to be fair, it's not really something that I go through, it's always a really nice catch-up to see what the memes were, what the jokes were, if anything large was revealed in terms of the world premiere, which doesn't necessarily translate too well, but to be honest, it's kind of been interesting just going back and forth and seeing what everything else has been going on about considering that I've been mostly going back and forth with Nintendo, and I've got nothing to look forward to in terms of video games until summer of this year, which I'm going to be talking about later. But unfortunately, anime conventions are already having to adapt and reschedule at this point in time, Anime Boston being one of them. They're not necessarily thinking that they're going to be hosting a virtual event. They're trying to move their original scheduling for April 2nd and 4th, and they're going to push it back to May 27th, 29th. And... Judging by the lackadaisical attitude in the entirety of the states towards all of this, even though I know that those cases are not going to be dropping, and I know that these 
just horrifically packed conventions are going to be just a breeding ground for more and more cases. You can only hope that the vaccines get rolled out enough quick enough to kind of just mitigate the majority of the death rate, because we already know that the case rates are going to skyrocket regardless throughout the course of the year, as long as the death rates plummet, considering that even though, even though people are getting it, they're healthy enough to just stay in quarantine at that time. So... Yeah, I really don't know if holding any convention, well, being Canadian, any conventions this year feel, feels like a bad idea. If anything, it's probably going to be when the majority of people are vaccinated. So by the fall, every, when everything rolls around, that's when they'll actually start opening things up. But to be fair, since a lot of the bigger conventions that I hear going around happen in Ontario, trying to hold... Well, as long as it's early fall, Ontario should be fine. But if you're talking about, like, November, December, you're really just gambling, just trying to get anything in by the end of the year. But, I mean, besides that, uh, Rooster Teeth, so Rooster Teeth's Expo, is also going to be moving back and going to be held at home as well from July 8th to the 17th. So at that point in time, they're making a smart decision to essentially keep everything mitigated to a low turnout and try and just pump out as much content and panels and keep as many people happy as they can while keeping everybody safe and maintaining distance inside of the safety of their own homes and being able to watch that at their own leisure. So I'll definitely tune into those once the once the summer, the second summer of virtual cons rolls around. That's kind of what I'm curious to see about how that's going to go forward. But speaking of virtual stuff, the Pokemon Company announced that its 25th anniversary virtual concert is going to feature Post Malone, Katy Perry, and a handful of others, and that's going to be popping up, uh, what is it, <laughs> February 27th, which is also known as Pokemon Day, which, to be fair, I don't necessarily know how exactly that came to be, I don't know if it's just the, an it must be the anniversary of Pokemon Red and Green, so the first generation, but it's, I'm... <laughs> I'm going to be curious enough to kind of just, like, poke in and kind of see, like, what exactly they do. I, I only, I've only got, like, two songs down by both Katy Perry and Post Malone, respectively, but in terms of, like, music videos related to Pokemon and stuff, like, the best music video that came out last year, hands down, would have been the Gotcha video, which, uh, which was a um, music video directed by Rie Matsumoto and produced and animated by Studio Bones, with a soundtrack, Acadia, done by Bump of Chicken, which is honestly one of my favorite Japanese bands. And if you want to look up any other, like, Pokemon-related musical content, like, just stop by this first like, without, beyond a shadow of a doubt, this is probably one of the best pieces of Pokemon content that has been going out through. Even the, what was it, the Twilight Wings, like, handful of five, six-minute OVA series that came out over the course of 2020, those were also really good watches in and of themselves, but the crowning achievement in that entire set of videos is definitely going to be the uh, music video Gotcha by Mumpa Chicken. It's <laughs> the amount of references, the amount of actual content and new new spins with new characters, uh, revitalizing gym leaders, champions, previous Pokemon trainers, new and old. It, it's honestly a sight to behold. So if there's anything I can recommend, get on that. But for another recommendation, leading into essentially what I was planning on talking about this uh, this episode is kind of my stance on what I'm going to be looking forward to in the spring 2021 anime season, which is the animated adaptation of The World Ends With You. 
So this was an action role-playing game uh, developed by Square Enix and Jupiter for the Nintendo DS, and this was back in, well, 2007 for Japan, and then 2008 for the North American release. And this was definitely a weird um, interest, considering that it is technically a JRPG, but it was kind of... It was one of the first that I'd had, and something that I'd never necessarily played before. And I'm trying to think back on what essentially got me into it. It wasn't really much. It was a cool-looking title that was sitting on the shelves at a Rogers video store. And so I rented it for a week. I played it. I realized that I was so far off the beaten path, and there was no way I was going to be able to complete this entire game within the span of a week that I initially thought. And I immediately went out and bought it by the end, by the end of the week. So there was not really much that I could do, and it quickly became... It, it was weird considering that as much as I would say it was one of my favorite games of the Nintendo DS, it didn't necessarily uh, give itself much replay value in the sense that there was a lot of, like, creature campaigns and, like, trying to find all of the old... Because um, you could replay all of the other days inside of the game, but it was I was not really much of a completionist back then. There was no there was not really much of a reason for me to go back into a game after I had completed it, because all the stuff all the games that I played back then were long enough in of itself that it's like, okay, well I've got more than enough stuff on my backlog to jump into, then I might as well just move through and try not to think too hard about it instead of like trying to go back and hundred percent or like like dig deep enough into the game because I got more than enough of a satisfying conclusion and an experience with this game. Like it was beyond something that I had honestly ever seen before and I really enjoyed the story. The characters were compelling. I loved the interactions between all of them and how they like became this close-knit group over the course of the days that they went through. Um, and it was just kind of an awesome time to go through and play this this kind of stuff. I mean, around those days, looking through, in terms of video game adaptations, there was a lot to go through throughout the entirety of the late 90s, into the 2000s, and into the 2010s of anime. I mean, if we're going section by section, there were a lot of video games that ended up getting anime adaptations that got video game adaptations and a lot of them surprisingly enough when i was looking back on it came out of like the saturday morning cartoon blocks that i had with kids wb ytv teletoon like you had stuff like uh metabots you had Mega Man, nt warrior you had pokemon you had digimon you had bakugan you had uh there was one more that i'm completely forgetting Yu-Gi-Oh. of course that would also be another one but a lot of them would just kind of be like toys and card games but to be fair well, and, and then on top of Kirby right back at you. That was also a really fun uh, little romp. But to be fair, it was just a lot of good stuff and a lot of good marketing with a lot of the um, patents and the experience and uh, expertise that they had in this field to get an entirely new demographic into a handful of toys and cards and video games, which completely put us under their thumb every time Saturday morning came around. And... I guess I'll just briefly touch on this, considering that it's one that I've never jumped into and I've never played, but I will just take note of, and I'll probably get to one of these one day, which would definitely just be the visual novel route, which isn't necessarily a video game in my eyes, but it's more like just interactive reading for the majority of the time until they, until every single uh, one of the Fate routes got animated. But it's just that a lot of these games had such a wide demographic, which not only hit well in Japan, but also it hit pretty well in the States. In the era of, like, the PlayStation, PlayStation 2, 
a lot of these ended up getting, a lot of these visual novels got adaptations not only online, but also through a lot of um, video game consoles as well. Like, in terms of stuff that, uh, like, Kyoto Animation did, they did Air, they did Canon, they did Clannad, you had a handful of other stuff like Amagami SS and F A Tale of Memories. Um, one that I wouldn't necessarily, like, I have no real way because I never played the games and no, didn't, I have no bloody idea. The, the closest that comes to this to me is just like a murder mystery, but in terms of like Danganronpa and, well, Persona, but I think I'll get to that later. Considering that Danganronpa is also a lot of like murder mystery thriller, but a lot of it's reading and a lot of it's just kind of like poking around and that's all I've been able to see. But to be fair, it's been getting a handful of good of, not necessarily, uh, I, I can't really even say good because I haven't really seen them. There was not really much for me to grab onto. I think I will at least watch the first episode of Danganronpa 3, the animation, but that's beside the point. Um, I guess the only other few that I would put on this list would be Mashiro Euro Symphony, which nobody has heard of. And the only reason I'm putting it on here is because this is probably one of the first anime I ever watched, if not the first, knowing what anime was. And duly noted, there's not really much to say about this. Um, but in terms of, like, the two more popular versions of these kinds of things, Steins Gate, for sure, would arguably one of, be one of the best anime adaptations of a visual novel, period. And it's also something that I'm probably going to have to go back and rewatch since it's been a couple of years. But to be fair, what it was able to accomplish and the reception and the production that it was able to go through and capitalize on as soon as it became popular and, you know, rolling around in terms of new mobile games, video games, films, uh, the adaptation of the prequel story, Steins Gate Zero, which I've heard nothing but bad things about, so I wouldn't necessarily recommend giving that an opportunity. But I mean, seeing what Steinsgate was able to accomplish, especially with how good the adaptation was able to pull through, is honestly something that every single production company always strives to go for whenever they're producing a new work, and always trying to market it towards giving it new life and bringing new and uh, newer people and more and more of them into uh, the world in of itself to sell. That is every production company's dream, jumping onto a product that already has a decent demographic, but amplifying it to a degree that only an anime or, an, or a new adaptation would be able to. And then, of course, I wouldn't necessarily get off without talking about, you know, the Fate series. I, I would, I'm, I'm definitely going to be having to save this for, like, another episode with a buddy of mine, Johnny, considering that he he's already read through it and he knows more about this stuff than I do, considering that I'm an anime only. In terms of my entire Fate repertoire would be Fate Zero, the Fate Stay 19 adaptation, the Unlimited Blade Works D adaptation, the Unlimited Blade Works um, Ufotable adaptation, and then only two at the time of this recording. The first two Abbotsfield movies. The third one came out late last year, but considering that inside of BC they shut down all of the theaters at the time that it was getting a release, I'm thinking, damn it. Uh, well, looks like I'm actually going to have to wait that much longer just to finally get a proper conclusion to the Heavensfield route. But like, fate, it's the same deal. Like, everything inside of this main story is the only piece of content that I'm going to uh, consume, for sure. And it's definitely, like, no shortage <laughs> of, um, of, like, not a masterpiece in storytelling, but a masterpiece in adaptation and expand and creating a world that you can be infinitely expanded upon. I mean, if you look at the amount of titles in terms of video games, mobile games, anime adaptations, uh, like regular commercial and product and merchandise, like Fate is, it, like, I would say it's only second to Evangelion at this point in time, but it is like the world 
that has such an infinite amount of possibilities because it takes its dredge and content from the annals of history. And so it's just, okay, you literally have the entire history of mankind with mythology and legends and different, like, mythos to work upon, and that is an infinitely expandable universe that um, that uh, Yumi Yamaguchi was able to create. It's like, I don't think he realized, like, what he had on his hands, because now with the amount of adaptations and movies and television series, and like I said before, merchandise, that is spawned off of one title, it's actually ridiculous to see how much it's been able to accomplish in that short amount of time. So, I will get to fade at some point, it's just not today. Um, but in terms of video game adaptations, like JRPGs to animation, I mean, you've got stuff like Dragon Quest, you got Final Fantasy Unlimited and Final Fantasy Advent Children based off of Final Fantasy VII. You have, um, <laughs> you have God Eater, which I'm like, holy hell. This, this aired in 2015. Yeah, this was just kind of like the video game adaptation like route that Ufotable was essentially like put under for a good number of years, considering that you had back to back to back, you had God Eater, you had uh, Tales of Zestria, and you had Token Rambu, which was just uh, consistent like adaptations just for the sake of adaptations and for promotional material. So it's not really much that they were able to do, but besides that, they were able to do like a pretty good job. Oh yeah, no, hold on. And, the, and then right after that, they got back to, like, the Fate, the Fate-verse, where essentially you had a Fate Grand Order, you had Today's Menu with the Emiya family, and then you got um, Heaven's Feel. So they just went full tight moon after that, like, three-year stretch of doing nothing but video game adaptations. So that was kind of uh, hilarious to go through. Uh, but besides the point, I mean, Persona, it's got OVAs and films for Persona 3, you had Persona 4 and Persona 4 Golden, so both, like, two different adaptations for essentially the same game. It's just that Golden is a little bit more of an expansive experience of 4. Um, and Persona 5, which my buddy has been ranting nonstop about me to get into, because now Persona 5 Royal is out, which is same deal as Golden, a much more expansive version of the first game. And it, based on, even though I know, like, almost every single plot point, considering that the internet memes it entirely to death, I will have to, like, I will have to play it at some point, but I'm really a bit of a stickler, considering that I would have to, I'm literally doing what a lot of others are doing, and being incredibly lazy people, and waiting for a Switch port to come up for, for Persona 5, because then, if that happens, it's like, okay, fine, you got me, I, I'm immediately gonna have to go out and buy this. But essentially, besides that, there's not really much, and there's so much else on my backlog to go through, television, video game, and otherwise. But yeah, at some point in time, Persona 5 will definitely get the time of day for me, and I'm legitimately curious to see how this is going to go. But then, I mean, besides that, like, the entire Tales of series, I've never played a single Tales game. All I've done is I've seen a handful of episodes of Tales of the Abyss, and I've seen all of um, Tales of Zestria, which is the footable adaptation, and the only reason I gave that a, a, a shot to begin with was because it was done by Ufotable. And there's not really much else to say. It's just that if you know that a Tales of a Tales of video game is coming out, you know that it's going to get an animated adaptation, regardless of what anything else happens to it. And the only other thing, which I'm pretty sure is going to get, like one one of these days, Fire Emblem is definitely going to be getting like a small OVA series, just like it did like, way back in the day, but I mean, 
like Fire Emblem ended up getting an animated uh, adaptation, which was just like an OVA series of Mystery of the Emblem, which was like a remake of one, so Fire Emblem 3. Um, it's, uh, yeah, no, it was, it was really interesting just to, just with all of the jokes and like how simplistic the art style was. And you definitely knew like this was like same deal, promotional material. There's not really much that you can add to the story considering that it's a very, very bare bones set. Fire Emblem is also probably going to get an entire episode out of me one day. So I'm probably going to have to write that down. But the fact that Fire Emblem actually has an anime adaptation that came out in the 90s is kind of hilarious to me, but also something a little bit of hopefulness for me to look forward to, because based on the success of Three Houses, I highly doubt that that would get any sort of adaptation, but like me and everybody else, we are legitimately curious to see if 2021 or 2022 is going to be giving us the next uh, title in the Fire Emblem franchise which I think would be, like, title 17, I think. I'll, I'll have to get back to you on that on, on another episode. But besides that, there's not really much else that can be set upon in terms of the world ends with you, other than this is the first game. I would imagine everybody else has already had this experience in terms of Tales, in terms of Fate Stay Night, in terms of Danganronpa, in terms of Persona. This is, But for me, personally, this is going to be the first... Um, time, a video game property that I enjoyed, legitimately enjoyed, is going to be getting an anime adaptation. And you have no idea how low my expectations are. Like, because I know that this is, because based on the timing of everything that's been going through, I think I'll mark, there's probably going to be, yes, I will be spoiling minor points inside of the video game here. So if you just... I'm probably just going to be talking about this at the end of the episode, so just pay what you will at that point in time. But based on how the production schedule is going through and when it's slated to come out, and when, because now we know that there is going to be a World Ends With You sequel video game coming out for the Switch, which I think is just, like, Neo The World Ends With You, or New The World Ends With You, with different characters and a different story, which I'm legitimately curious about, and I'm honestly psyched because I'm definitely going to be playing this. This is the game that I was talking about earlier in the podcast, where it was going to be, there was only one game that I have slated for the entirety of 2021 that I'm waiting to play, and it's going to be uh, Neo World Ends With You. But it's just, I know that I'm not expecting anything out of this adaptation. I am not, for the life of me, going to give this I wouldn't. I would not give this the time of day if it not if it weren't for the fact that it was based off of a game that I like. Because I mean, it is definitely the genesis of this show existing in the first place is because it is being used as promotional material just to coincide with the timing and the release of the new video game. And so I would imagine the final episode is going to be linked to like the beginning of the new video game. Even though the new video game has different characters considering that the story in The World Ends With You is conclusive and it's over, except for the fact. I can't remember if this was added on to the Switch port, which I bought, um, considering that this got a... Uh, it, yeah, it got a port on the Switch. I bought it. The controls were very awkward because, dude, you need a stylus for this game. Like, <laughs> just for this game alone, and if, um, and if Neo has the exact same thing... Because I was just a lot of it is based a lot of it is based on touch and like the the combat that happened inside of this game 
whole, like solely relied upon you using both uh, parts of your screen, so both screens on the DS, and having it all just put on one screen and have and having me like literally trying to control with my left hand and then dragging my finger and just scratching my screen uncontrollably trying to get the majority of the tax down was like kind of ridiculous i don't know at this point in time which i'm which i'm honestly curious to see how they it, it looks like it's going to be more of a 3d neo is going to be more of a 3d uh adaptation uh with a different style of combat so I'm really curious. I'm really curious to see how that's going to translate. So it is a product. It is going to coincide with the release of Neo. And considering that, I'm pretty sure it was off of the Switch port. They that they added a they added another part of the story, or at least a bridge. Considering that the guys were thrown back into the loop again, uh, revisiting old parts of the story, and then meeting this new character, and then fighting her, but then. Neku is gone. He is trapped somewhere else, and it's going to be up to the rest of the crew to find him. And I don't know, like, that's the thing. I'm really curious. I, I'm really curious to see how that's going to translate, because this the game was just based upon opening up and, like, learning to trust people in the world around you again. And that was a really, and it was really, like, cool, even though it didn't necessarily hit me when I first played it since I was 13 at the time. Like it had a lot of good messages and a lot of good, um, a lot of good forays into like mental health and stability, and isolation and trying to just lock yourself out of people. And I don't know, it was it was really it hit me to a degree like back then, not as hard as it should have, but I really enjoyed the themes that it was able to uh, progress and uh, show back then. And I also really love like um, the relationship between him and Shiki, which. I'm really curious to see how this show is going to translate because there are seven days in the first part. So technically, this game takes place over 21 days. And how they're going to condense... Because I know that there were a lot of days where the missions were incredibly simple and there were a lot of days where it was just, hey, you know, we just get to walk around, do one task, and the, and the day is over. And then some days would take a lot longer than others. But I am just really curious to see how they translate 12 to 13 episodes of content into telling this story. Because I literally, I could totally see it being possible, even knowing that they have a deadline and that they have um, like a set goal, a start and an end position leading into the second game. But yeah, no, it's... There's a lot of there's a lot of guys on the Discord that are also kind of hyped about it. There's a small number of us. I I can't even say the there are dozens of us meme because that's <laughs> we can't even we can't even come up with uh, twelve with twelve people. I don't know. It's going to be an interesting section going through, and I don't know. I, I kind of felt like I was hoping to get a lot more out of this topic. I'm probably going to do the same with fate. And just point out how adaptations go through, but considering that, yeah, I'll probably get back to this once the show is done at the end of spring, and maybe I'll get back to it once I complete the game come the end of summer, so that's honestly something I could probably write down and go throughout the rest of the year, because there have just been so many adaptations that have 
only been used as promotional material and not used in a way that they would be able to enhance or engage anybody greater inside of the story to try and bring them into their world and kind of make them re-experience the same kind of magic that the rest of the people who played the game did. And it's a little different from the ones that I played back as a kid and watched as a kid because even though I still had a lot of moments where they would always coincide where with me playing but watching there was not really much of a connection between those but come spring 2021 this is honestly going to be the first time that i'm actually going to be able to have that experience and even though my expectations are low i don't know considering that a lot of there a handful of the production staff especially the composer uh takaharu ishimoto he is going to he is on the staff for the anime and he, he honestly dude the soundtrack for the world ends with you is bopping like there is so many good uh, mixes that you can just throw on into the background and it's just like a really good bid for you know relaxing uh ones with battle music ones with uh tension ones with comedy ones with you know a som uh, with more somber beats a lot of it goes through and a lot of it hits really well so there's still yeah the only positive thing that I can say about this is that there are a handful of people that were a part of the original production of the video game that are also now having their hands composing and working with the adaptation that is going to be coming out in the spring. So, expectations low, and here's to hoping that at least something positive can come out of this adaptation. Mm-hmm.